0: The Corum Deo Church community is a missional church rooted in historic, biblical Christianity and committed to cultural engagement. We hope the message you are about to hear spurs you to deeper reflection on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening. This morning's scripture reading is from Psalm 41. Psalm 41 Blessed is the one who considers the poor In the day of trouble, the Lord delivers him. The Lord protects him and keeps him alive. He is called blessed in the land. You do not give him up to the will of his enemies. The Lord sustains him on his sickbed. In his illness, you restore him to full health. As for me, I said, O Lord, be gracious to me. Heal me, for I have sinned against you. My enemies say of me in malice, when will he die and his name perish? And when one comes to see me, he utters empty words while his heart gathers iniquity. When he goes out, he tells it abroad. All who hate me whisper together about me. They imagine the worst for me. They say, a deadly thing is poured out on him. He will not rise again from where he lies. Even my close friend in whom I trusted who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. But you, O Lord, be gracious to me, and raise me up that I may repay them. By this I know that you delight in me. My enemy will not shout in triumph over me. But you have upheld me because of my integrity, and set me in your presence forever. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, From everlasting to everlasting, amen and amen. The word of God for the people of God. Well, good morning, church.
1: My name is Dusty White. I serve here as one of the pastors. It's a joy to be with you this morning. One day, when my family walked out into the driveway, we noticed that the wheels and tires were gone off of the Ford Thunderbird that sat in our driveway normally. And I was a little guy. I loved that car. I remember wanting to drive that car. I thought it was some sort of sports car because the Thunderbird emblem was really sleek. And some of you are nodding like, yeah, I remember that. And, uh, and it also had the Ford 5.0 engine in it. And I just remember thinking, man, I want to drive that car badly someday. Well, fast forward into my high school years. And if you're new around here, you should know that I became a Christian in high school. And that is really helpful for this story, okay? Because I'm about to tell you about uh, one of my foolish friends from middle school. But prior to that, yeah, so prior to uh, becoming a Christian in high school, I had some really foolish friends. And part of God's grace in your life when you surrender your will to His will is that He beautifully changes your relationships and your friendships, and that is really good news for me. Well, my family walks out into the driveway that day, and the wheels are gone off of the car that was sitting on paint cans. Creative way to steal some tires, I thought, you know, interesting. But what was interesting was that those paint cans had a particular name on all four of them. And that name traced directly back to one of my foolish friend's family in middle school. So, not only are the wheels and tires gone, so there's that feeling, you know, but now there's this feeling of betrayal that sets in. My dad, who wasn't the nicest guy when bad stuff like this happened, got real quiet and That knowledge had registered like a tractor beam off of those paint cans, and he you could just see the wheels spinning. So, we got the car jack, we swapped out the paint cans for blocks of wood, and still being really, really quiet, my dad says, let's go. So, I knew exactly where we were going. We showed up to the kid's house, we got out, My dad had grabbed all four paint cans, which to me seemed strong, and we walked up the driveway, and he and another teenager, I am not making this up, are putting the wheels and tires onto another car in real time. (laughs) They had two on. I remember this vividly. So my dad has these paint cans, and he says, you left these at our house. I just remember it being really, really quiet. They took the other two wheels off, we took all four wheels, we went back home and obviously put the wheels and tires back on our car. Now, that was a day that I will never forget because I just remember thinking, man, if you steal stuff, you should not sign your name and just leave it everywhere. I don't think you're supposed to steal stuff at all, but if you do, don't leave your name around, okay? But more importantly, I just remember a sense of betrayal that day. I had already distanced myself from this kid a while back. I knew he was bad news. The wheels were one thing, but the betrayal put a pit in my stomach. And my whole family was affected that day. Now, that is a pretty crazy story and pretty funny to us now when we tell it. But what about you? Have you ever been betrayed. I'm not sure there's a worse feeling or a worse experience in the world than being betrayed. And I am confident that most of you have a story of betrayal in this room somewhere in your life. Some of you have been betrayed by a spouse, some by a family member, some have been betrayed by a friend. And let's be honest this morning, some of you have done the betraying. And even though you might have asked for forgiveness and been reconciled, you can still feel the shame, you can still feel the guilt and the ugliness of those experiences. Now, one of the reasons that we love the Bible around here is because it doesn't shy away from hard topics. It actually talks about real things, hard things, sad things, things like betrayal. In fact, that's what Psalm 41 is all about. Psalm 41 shows us how to have a gospel reflex to betrayal. Psalm 41 shows us how to have a gospel reflex to betrayal. So turn there with me if you you haven't already. Whether it's past, present, or future betrayal, Psalm 41 is here to guide us. And here's where we're headed today. When you are betrayed, look in, look up, And look forward. Real simple. When you are betrayed, look in, look up, and look forward. So, page 438, if you're using the Bible under your chair. First of all, when you are betrayed, look in. Psalm 41, verse 4. As for me, I said, O Lord, be gracious to me, heal me, for I have sinned against you. When we're mistreated or betrayed, our first instinct is to point the finger, isn't it? And listen, the is not going to let the betrayer off the hook. We're going to get to his sin later. But the first thing the psalmist does, the first thing a Christian does, is to look in. So when it comes to strife, betrayal, or hard relationships, before there is a them, there is a me. And one of the best books ever written on dealing with conflict, a book that's sort of become like a guidebook for Christian mediation and conflict resolution is Ken Sandy's book, The Peacemaker. It was first published in 1982, and in that book, Sandy lays out a process for resolving disputes. And the second step in the process is titled, Get the Log Out of Your Eye. And he writes this, Whether the dispute involves a personal quarrel, divorce, lawsuit, or church division... People generally treat one another as they are being treated. When one person attacks and accuses, so does the other. And when God moves one person to start getting the log out of his or her own eye, it is rare that the other side fails to do the same. When we admit that our own sin are so serious that Jesus had to die for us, and remember that He has forgiven us all our wrongs, we can let go of our illusion of self righteousness and freely admit our failures. When we do this, we experience the wonderful gift of God's forgiveness. And in many cases, He will be pleased to use our confessions to help others see the logs in their eyes. So, first of all, when you are betrayed, look in. Secondly, when you are betrayed, look up. We catch up in verse 5 of Psalm 41. Psalm 41, verse 5. My enemies say of me in malice, when will he die and his name perish? Sounds pretty dark, right? When will he die and his name perish? And when one comes to see me, he utters empty words, while his heart gathers iniquity. When he goes out, he tells it abroad. All who hate me whisper together about me. They imagine the worst for me. They say, a deadly thing is poured out on him. He will not rise again from where he lies. Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. But you, O Lord, be gracious to me and raise me up that I may repay them. Now here is where it starts to get real. Here's where we see the painfulness Of betrayal. The psalmist starts by acknowledging that he has enemies in the public square. People are rooting for his demise, but that's not really news, right? We all have those kinds of folks in our lives, people who just don't really like us, right? You have some of those people. What hurts us, what hurts really is verse 9. Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. It escalates from just general people to close friends, and betrayal blindsides us, and it cuts us deep because it comes from those who are close to us. Friends, absolutely none of you are ready to be betrayed. Nobody woke up this morning ready to be betrayed. Have you been here, though? Have you been betrayed? I want to encourage you this morning, when you are betrayed, look up at the cross of Christ. Look at verse nine again. Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. What scene does that remind you of? Who does that remind you of? Flip over to the right in your Bible to John chapter 13. If you're with us through the gospel of John, you might recall this chapter. If you weren't, You can go back and catch this sermon in the archives, but in John chapter 13, Jesus and his disciples have some dinner together. Then Peter gets up and washes the feet of his disciples. Peter, in normal fashion, is just a little bit nervous about just his feet being washed and not his whole body. He doesn't want just his feet washed. He wants his whole body washed. We pick up the story in verse 9. It's a little bit of a longer reading here, folks, so just settle in and and take it all in. Verse 9, chapter 13 of John, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet also, only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I, then your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet, for I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen. But the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. Verse 19, I'm telling you this now, before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Verse 21, after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, What you are going to do, do quickly. Now, no one at the table knew why he had said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. Even in John 13, the story ends with darkness, and it feels like darkness when you've been betrayed, doesn't it? Psalm 41, ate my bread, lifted his heel against me. John 13, it was just before the Passover feast, the evening meal had been served and the devil had prompted Judas to betray Jesus. Jesus then swings into humble, service-oriented action, washing feet. Whose feet did Jesus wash? The chronology in the Gospels suggests that Judas was still present and that Jesus knew Judas was about to betray him. Betrayal always blindsides me, it always blindsides you, but imagine if you had in your hands the ankles of the man who was about to betray you, not just a little bit, but betray you to murderers, what would you do? Jesus chooses to mercifully display his love, gives Judas an opportunity to repent, and he feeds him. Friends, Jesus knows betrayal. He knows his own betrayal and what he's experienced, and he knows your betrayal. Hear me. Jesus knows the betrayal from your parents. Jesus knows the betrayal from your siblings, your friends. Your Savior has eaten with someone in one moment, and the next moment has been betrayed. This has happened to me. This has happened to you, hasn't it? People have come over a meal with my family, and it seems so great. And the next moment, they're gone, blasting me out there. This has happened to many of you. One summer, you're taking a trip with somebody. The next minute, they won't return your phone call. Friends, when you are betrayed, look up. The road to Golgotha is paved with betrayal. Betrayal. Before we ever get across, before we ever get to the cross, we see and we feel the relational turmoil of betrayal. And friends, in Psalm 41, Jesus is all over Psalm 41. Look at verse 5 with me. My enemies say of me in malice, When will he die and his name perish? Friends, his name can't perish. Our hope in betrayal in in all of life is in the name of Christ. In fact, eternal life is the opposite of perishing. My enemies say of me in malice, when will he die and his name perish? His name can't perish. Verse eight, they say a deadly thing is poured out on him. He will not rise again from where he lies. Well, Christ died and rose three days later, conquering sin, Satan, and death. So here in verse eight, The betrayer doesn't win. Christ has won. So when betrayal blindsides us, when betrayal blindsides us, remember to look up. Look up to a God who is from everlasting to everlasting. Look up to a Savior who knows what it's like to be betrayed. Look up to the Holy Spirit who can steady us and strengthen us. Friends, let's look up. Third, when you are betrayed, look forward. Verse 11. By this I know that you delight in me. My enemy will not shout in triumph over me. Notice the future tense of verse 11. They will not. The way forward is recognizing that relationship with God can change everything. What do we need most? When we've been betrayed, we need to remember that God delights in his children. We need to remember that God delights in his children so we can trade in your desires for revenge for the delight of God. You can trade in your desire for revenge for the delight of God. That is not wimpy. That's maturity. I was just chatting with a good friend of mine the other day. He was mentioning to me on vacation how one of the grandfathers uh, on the trip was just delighting in their kids he said man he he can just like play with uh, our kids and just be really present with our kids and he'll just like just stare at them in great delight delight is family language delight is the way a father dotes on his daughter Delight is the way a husband cherishes his wife. Delight is the way a wife enjoys her husband. Delight is the way a friend isn't just honest with you, uh, but, but can also catch the vulnerability of another friend. Delight is deep. Delight is relationship. Delight is affection. And that's what we have here in Psalm 41, verse 11. By this, I know that you delight in me. Have you experienced the delight of God? You can. You can experience the delight of God this morning, right here. He's a good father. You can trust him. You can be delighted in forever. That's crazy. That's crazy good news. After being honest about betrayal, the psalmist draws on the delighting, pleasing love of God. God will not allow the enemies to triumph. Even though the betrayal is real, the delight of God is there and the delight of God is here with us. Church, the people of God have the delight of God. Betrayal hurts because we're betrayed by people close to us, friends, family, people who had a certain delight in us And whom we had a certain delight in. So we trusted them. Friendship is a relationship of joy and delight. So when I've been in a relationship or a friendship with someone who seems to care about my well-being and flourishing and then seems to be committed to me, but now has been betrayed, now I'm realizing they don't actually enjoy me. Maybe they were just using me or something other than mutual delight had to be taking place. And the crumbling of that delight or affection or friendship, that's what's so disorienting about betrayal, isn't it? Listen to me, though. Church, when that crumbling happens, we can draw on the fact that God's love never crumbles for his children. Betrayal hurts. It's real. It's so disorienting. I hope you never have to experience it. But God's delight is ridiculously healing and reorienting. God's delight takes away the sting of betrayal because he promises to never leave us nor forsake us. God's delight is the security that you're all longing for amidst betrayal. And he freely gives it to us. His delight grounds us. His delight heals us. And really experiencing God's delight in you can set you free from bitterness, anger, despair, hopelessness. Friends, everything else comes up short. Everything else comes up short. The delight of God is what we need when we're in the disorienting relational matrix of betrayal. Not only is the psalmist looking forward and remembering that God delights in his children, he's also looking forward and remembering that God will honor integrity. Look at verse 12 before the psalm close, closes out. But you have upheld me because of my integrity and set me in your presence forever. Character matters even when we've been betrayed. You cannot control what whispers or words are said out there in the public square when someone has betrayed you, but you can walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. So if you're a Christian, you can have self-control amidst betrayal. If you're a Christian, you don't need to rise up with a defensive posture, which I'm really prone to do. I don't know, maybe I'm alone in the defensiveness, but I tend to just have this defensive posture right away. Maybe you can relate to that. You don't have to rise up with a defensive posture. If you're a Christian, you can have the courage to eat with your enemies like Jesus did and be secure in your identity at the same time. Your identity doesn't have to be living in the wake of betrayal, nor is it making sure that all of the relational harmony exists. Okay, if you're an Enneagram nine, I'm sorry, but that's not your job. You don't have to do that. Your identity is in Christ and he delights in you And he upholds you if you live with integrity. Now here's what's complex. You realize, right, that this gospel reflex to betrayal is totally the opposite of how our culture operates. The world's way is, man, if somebody attacks you, attack them right back, right? Or if somebody betrays you, don't get mad, get even. And I think more than ever in our culture, We're full of hostility and revenge out there. And according to Psalm 41, the people of God can have a way different approach, a way different reflex to betrayal. So when we respond in light of the gospel, friends, we're showing, what are we showing? We're showing that our hope is somewhere else. We're showing that our hope is in someone else, that our love is somewhere else, and that our identity is somewhere else. Now listen, betrayal is terrible. I hope you never have to experience. It's one of the worst things we can possibly go through. But if it does happen, or when it does happen, the gospel is good news even then. And because of his grace, we too can walk with integrity in the midst of betrayal. So first of all, when we're betrayed, look in. What do I need to own? What do I need to repent of in this relational discord? Secondly, look up, knowing that Jesus was betrayed by Judas and everyone else along the way. And we can recall that our Savior gets it. And because of his grace, we too can walk with integrity in the midst of betrayal. And third, we look forward, remembering that God delights in his children so we can stomach some earthly betrayal along the way while we still walk in the delight of God with integrity. We have to ask, even though this betrayal bites, even though this stings, what is the Lord requiring of me right now? What is God asking of me? A good friend of mine texted me on Thursday and he said, uh, hey, can you chat real quick? Which from this particular friend really just means... uh, Something just happened, and I need to talk about it. You get these kinds of texts, right, from your friends. So uh, I jumped on the phone with him about an hour later. He runs a business and had to fire a good friend this week, that morning. Turns out his friend had been lying and cheating, and it had just caught up to him. And he couldn't hide it anymore. My friend had to fire my friend had to fire his friend. And he said to me on the phone, he said these weird, these words, it feels so weird. It's so disorienting. It feels like he was betraying me the whole time. This was Thursday. And I said, hey, do you have a Bible handy? <laughs> and he did. I could hear him flipping through the pages really quickly because he had already had the Bible out that morning. It was a disorienting morning for him. And so he was searching the scriptures for comfort already. I said, hey, turn to Psalm 41, and we read it together, and he sighed a little bit, and we turned to John 13 for a bit, and he sighed again, but this time with some relief. His circumstances did not change. He still had to fire his friend. He still needs to fill that position also, but the Psalm spoke for him. Jesus with Judas helped And it spoke for him. He still has to stomach the betrayal. He still is in that circumstance. But God delights in him. And that will never change. Would you pray with me? Lord, we were here this morning. None of us rolled out of bed excited to talk about betrayal. But we're here opening up the scriptures and seeing it, knowing that betrayal is the worst. We're feeling certain stuff. We're feeling feeling certain uh, matrixes of betrayal that we've been through. And I just want to ask that right now in this moment that you would minister to your people. And would you give us a gospel reflex to it? Pray for those who are in the midst of betrayal right now, trying to make sense of it. Would you help them, Lord? Would you be near to them, even now, through the scriptures and through this gathering? And Lord, we pray for those in this room who have or are doing the betraying right now. Would you bring them to sincere repentance, especially before they even take communion here? And one of the things we ask is that you would use the people in this room, with the relationships represented here, with the relationships represented in these families, with the relationships represented in this city, to bring about change. Would you make us, the people of Cormdale Church, a church full of people who can look in and up at the cross and forward with courage instead of revenge, hostility, and pointing the finger. We realize, Lord, that we are in need of your help, as Bob reminded us at the very beginning of this service. We're dependent and needy, even as we consider betrayal. So, Lord, we're grateful for the Scriptures. We're grateful that they speak for us and that they're real and honest. Be near to us in your name. Amen.